uh, turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. And uh, we'll start reading in verse 22 and continue all the way to verse 26. God's word says, Then Moses made Israel set out for the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the, none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord uh, your healer. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so now we're in Exodus 15. We've, uh, we've walked through um, Israel being freed from Egyptian oppression. And our passage today takes place uh, right after the Israelites offer praises to God uh, for the mighty miracle that God provided for them at the Red Sea. Um, if you back up and look at the beginning of chapter 15, um, specifically verses 1 through 18, you're going to see that it reads like a psalm. And I want to share uh, several, several lines with you of, of this psalm uh, that was saying again for the, the delivery, uh, for praises to God for the delivery of Israel. In verse 1, uh, the, the psalm says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And then if you look at verses 11 and 12, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. And then verses 17 through 18, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So I, I share just three, uh, three different parts of that, of that song, our psalm. And uh, you can see how beautiful and wonderful it is. It's dedicated to the Lord for what the Lord has done. And this song that we see is written by Moses. And more than likely it was sang as, as corporate worship by the Israelites. Similar to what we have just done here today. And again, it was a beautiful tribute to the Lord uh, for, for what he did in leading them out of Egypt um, and, and, and how he did it. He did it in such a miraculous way. But I bring up verses 1 through 18 of chapter 15 so that we can get a better picture of the verses we just read, uh, verses 22 uh, through 26. Because right after that wonderful tribute, I mean, right after we come to our verse, uh, our verses, uh, verses 22 to 26, 
And we see that the nation of Israel grumbled against Moses because they could not find good water to drink. So in one chapter, you have uh, complete opposites. You have this awesome praise to God for what he has done, who he is. And then moments later, after they just set out, you have a low point. You have people grumbling against the Lord. Those two exist in one chapter. Now, as I look at that chapter, it, for me, and I, and I think you would, you would agree, it's a perfect picture of humanity. It's a, it's a perfect picture of, of us, of all of us. See, I don't know uh, if, if you can't find a better picture than that, because we see in our own lives that many times we praise him when things are great, but when things are not so good, we grumble against him. And we have a, a perfect example of that here in Exodus chapter 15. Now, you sit there and... And I, I think we're alike in this area where you do it, you grumble, but then right after you say, why, did I, why do I do that? Or why did I just do that? Why can't I stop doing it? I, I hate doing it, but yet I continue to do it. Um, you see, the fix for this is not an easy fix. Because we may look at our grumbling as the problem, but the grumbling is really not the problem. Rather, it's a product Right? It's, it's a product of a bigger problem that we have. We don't have a grumbling problem, but rather we have a heart problem. And that's really getting down to the root of it. It's our heart that needs to be changed. It is our heart that is evil. It is our heart that we need to sanctify. So we come down to the sermon summary, and it is this. Whatever evil thing that resides in our hearts will eventually proceed out of our mouths. We need Christ to sanctify us from that. Let me, let me say it again. Whatever evil thing that resides in our hearts will eventually proceed out of our mouths. We need Christ to sanctify us from that. So my goal is this. I, my goal to, in today's passage um, is to focus on two things. Uh, first of all, the grumblings of the Israelites, and then the goodness of God. And after we talk about those two things, we're going to draw a conclusion from what we learned. So the grumblings of the Israelites. Um, we can, when, when we look at the Israelites, we see that God has been very, very good to them. Even though they suffered, they, they have not been without suffering, they suffered, but yet God has been good to them. You see, because he freed them from over 400 years of Egyptian oppression. They were slaves to the Egyptians for over 400 years, and he saved them, and he did it in dramatic fashion. It, was, it must have been awesome to see the Lord work in that time, because he carried out his judgments on Egypt, all the while protecting Israel from his judgments. He made a distinction between the two where you saw his you saw his wrath on one side and then on the other side, you saw his grace. And it must have been wonderful and in a sense to see for the Israelites to see that 
that, that God was executing his wrath here, but yet protecting them here. And for them, it was a, a, a faith builder. It was a wonderful thing. Because every prophecy that he proclaimed to Israel had come true. The Lord had put his power on display, you see, not only to free the Israelites, but to also build their faith. And here and now, I can just imagine how, how high they were flying as far as spiritually, speaking spiritually, how much faith had been built up in them from what they had saw the Lord do to uh, Pharaoh and what they, the, what they had saw the Lord do for them in his time of executing his judgment. But now, as we read in our passage, it was time for the Lord to put the Israelites to the test. And we see that after three days of traveling in the wilderness, uh, they, they found some fresh water. There had been no water, and then we see that they found uh, some fresh water. Or at least, I say fresh water, but so they thought it was. Uh, but when they tried to drink the water, they discovered that it was bitter. And Mara means bitter, so that's why they named it that. Now, this would have been a bad situation, because at this point, let's think about it, you have a whole nation traveling three days into their travel and there's only so much water they can take with them so you can just imagine it's not only them traveling it's not only people traveling but also animals traveling and it's not like they're traveling walking on a sidewalk on a breezy day with a bunch of shade over them Uh, this is rough terrain people are tired they're drinking water they're consuming water animals are consuming water so their water supply had probably been consumed by the people and by their animals, and either they were out or very close to being out. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been caught in a situation where uh, I've been thirsty and there's no water to drink. That is not any fun. When you're out there, either you're working and you just don't have any water supply. I remember a couple times going out uh, to our property and, and, and trying to cut down some trees last summer. And I drink through all my water, and then all of a sudden, I'm thirsty again. Well, it's time to pack up and go, because I'm not going to sit there and work and be thirsty. I remember also, when I was younger, taking a fishing trip with my uncle, and the same thing happening. You have the river water right there, you can't drink any of it. You run out of drinking water, and you're just completely thirsty. But So being thirsty and not being able to find drinkable water is torture, but on the other side, trying to drink water that is foul is completely awful. Shortly after moving into our house, we, uh, we found out the hard way that we needed a, a, filtration, a filtration system. We needed something to filter the water out because when you turn the water on, it was well water and what was coming up smelled like sulfur. And I'm not talking about like a little bit of sulfur. You turn the water on and the whole house smelled like sulfur. So our first day in, in our house, I'm, I, I'm working outside and been moving. And I go to turn on the shower and I'm waiting to take this wonderful hot bath. Well, it was a hot sulfur bath. I'm not into that kind of stuff, right? There's some people who pay for that stuff. I'm not into that kind of stuff. I want my hot bath to smell like nothing. I want to smell my soap. But I remember the next day waking up in the morning and 
everybody, my wife, we were brushing our teeth and she uses drinking water that she bought. I said, no, it can't be that bad. I'm going to use the water here. So I'm brushing my teeth and I throw some water in my mouth to rinse my mouth out. Nope, should have never done that. Awful, awful, awful water. Thank the Lord for carbon, uh, uh, charcoal filters rather, and, and, and that's worked wonders with our water. But here in this situation, they've been traveling for three days, no water. They finally found water, and it's bitter. That just means it had minerals in it. It was undrinkable. They, they, they just couldn't drink it. It was so awful. See, here is a very important uh, a point in the story. At this point, we must remember that the Israelites, they didn't get here by chance. It says Moses led them, but if we back up and if we remember who was leading Moses, it was God, right? So it's important for us to remember that the Israelites were being led by God. Bible says at night with fire and during the day with the cloud. The Lord was directing their path. Undeniable. So if we think about that, we must acknowledge that the Lord led them for three days, led them to areas where there was no water, almost let their water supply go out, if not out. The scripture is not very detailed in that. But he led them with no water for three days. And then when they find water, they're not able to drink it. Now, we know that the Lord is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's sovereign in every way. If he wanted to find water that they could drink, he would have found it, he would have led them to it. In fact, he would have made water out of nothing if he wanted to. But he didn't. He led them for three days without water, and he led them to a source of water that they could not drink. And you may ask, why? And we see our answer in scripture. He was testing their faith. Now, when the Lord test or whenever he tested them, the truth of their nature was exposed. Or if you want to say it another way, their true nature was exposed. And that goes for us, too. When the Lord tests us, our true nature is exposed. Look at verses 23 and 24. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, as we look at this story, you look at that and you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm with you as I look at that, saying, what's, what's so bad about that? You, know, you get, you come, you're thirsty, you come to this place, you're running out of water, you come to this place uh, where you think you're going to be able to have a drink, you can't have a drink. And you start to grumble. And you start to grumble against your leader. One thing we have to realize is Moses stood as God's representative before the people. So for them to complain against Moses, who's being led by God, is, was like for them uh, complaining against God himself. And when we look at the word grumble, um, it, it's, it's, it's different than being angry or shouting. In fact, it's the opposite of shouting. Uh, to grumble means to mutter to mumble, to grumble, to speak indistinctively, 
uh, or disconnectly, to talk incoherently. So why do people do it? Well, because you're angry about something, but you don't want to let everybody know. You just want yourself to know. You just want to express yourself without everybody hearing you, what you really have to say. So these people, in a sense, did not start shouting and start arguing, but rather under their voices, under their breath, they began to mutter, to mumble, and to grumble. They began to speak against the Lord. And again, you may ask, what's the big deal? Aren't we allowed to do that? I mean, don't we have to express ourselves in some way? Can't we complain just a little bit, even if it's to ourselves? Isn't it okay to do that? Well, when we look at Scripture, the answer to that question is no. It's, It's never okay to grumble against the Lord. Because when we grumble against the Lord... It is sin. I like what Douglas Stewart has to say. He's uh, the person who uh, wrote the New American Commentary, one of the commentaries I'm using as we study through this, uh, uh, as we study through this book. He says this, The people did not have what they expected and failed to trust God to provide it. And since the Garden of Eden, that has been a formula for disobedience. I think that really clears things up for us. The people did not have what they expected, right? When you when you think about the times that you grumble, specifically when you grumble against the Lord, it's when one of your expectations was did not did not get met. Somebody failed to meet something you were expecting. So the people here, their expectations were not met, and they failed to trust the Lord God to provide them what they needed. So for us, the same thing happens. When someone doesn't meet our expectations, they fail us, uh, we grumble against the Lord, and when we grumble against the Lord, we are basically not trusting in the Lord to provide what it is we need when we need it. For us to grumble against Him is for us to believe Number one, that we either know better, that we can do better, or that we deserve better. And I'm sure if you think about it a little bit longer, there's other reasons that cause us to grumble. But again, for us to grumble against the Lord is for us to believe that we know better than the Lord, that we can do better than the Lord, or we deserve better than what the Lord is giving us. And just because we say it under our breath, and just because we don't proclaim it to everyone, it doesn't mean it's right. As I was studying this passage, and and let me, you know, I really have to be honest with you here, because this is something that I, I really struggle with myself. I think I've been pretty open and honest about sometimes the attitude that I have, my personal disposition. I, I lean on the negative side. I don't like to admit that, even just saying that right now, just, but, but I lean that way. And, and, and I hadn't always been that way, but I'm that way now. And I've learned to accept it, that this is the way I lean, but 
I'm not satisfied with who I am leaning that way. Because I know that it is sinful for me to lean on the negative side. And when I say I lean on the negative side, I mean I'm, I'm, always, I'm always a ticking time bomb. And it's not necessarily a ticking time bomb. When you say bomb, you know, it explodes and it affects everyone. Um, it's like a, a, an internal time bomb. And something can set me off. And I won't complain against any specific person. But I'll sit there and I will grumble. I'll grumble about my situation. I'll grumble about how I've been wrong. I'll grumble about a whole bunch of other different things. And is that wrong? Yes, it is completely wrong. Because in that situation... I am not trusting in the Lord to provide what I need when I need it. In that situation, I'm telling the Lord, I know better, I can do better, and I deserve better. And none of that is true. So as I study this passage, and I, and I looked at my own life, I, I've come to understand something about grumblings. Because, again, they're very quiet eruptions, at least on the outside, but on the inside, it's very ugly. It's very, very ugly, very, very sinful. And one thing that came to mind, you know, right now with Alicia being pregnant and uh, us having to go to appointment after appointment, really her, I I tag along sometimes. Um, Right now, I hear the word ultrasound a lot, right? Just every so often, you know, like clockwork. She has to go get an ultrasound, see how the baby's doing, see how she's doing. So I hear that word a lot, and, and that word came to mind as I started thinking about grumblings. And I think it, it, this, what I'm about to say, goes well with the sermon summary. I think, it, I think it explains it a little bit better. See, I have come to understand that my grumblings are an ultrasound of my heart. It shows what's really there. You see, because I, I go to an appointment with my wife, they do an ultrasound of her belly, and we see the baby. We see what's there. We, we, don't, we don't know until we can see that ultrasound. We don't know the health of the baby. We don't know a lot of different things until it's made clear by the ultrasound. And then, then we can see. Start thinking about my grumblings. They're, they're an ultrasound of my heart, the, the wickedness that lies in my heart. And there's no denying it. There's no denying it. I can't say that I'm a good person when I know I have a problem with grumbling. I can't say that I'm satisfied with everything the Lord has given me when I have a problem with grumbling. There's a lot of things I can't say because of that problem. That's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. 
That's Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20. You know, to be tested by the Lord is very humbling. I usually pride myself that I'm good under pressure. At least I feel like I am. And that's also been confirmed by some that I'm, I'm good under pressure. In fact, I'm better under pressure than I am uh, spending a whole lot of time just preparing, preparing, preparing. Over-preparing really messes me up. I've always been that way my whole life. That's not an excuse for not studying for my test, but that's just the way it is. But there's one thing that I do like. I like to be tested. Now, (laughs) there's a difference. I've learned that I do not so much like to be tested by the Lord. Because there... There's, there's, there's no cheat notes for that test, right? Our true nature is exposed. That's the part I don't like about it, but on the other side, I appreciate that. That there is no cheating the Lord whenever we are tested. You see, many times we don't come out of his testing feeling good about ourselves. But that's the importance of the testing. So that we can see who we truly are. Many of us don't go about our day thinking how horrible we are, how wicked we are. It's just not in our nature to do that. We have to be reminded about that. Because most of the time we go throughout our day and we think, hey, we're good people. Right. We don't kill. We don't steal. We don't do this. We don't do. We have this checklist in our head. And as long as we're not doing those things, we're good people. Creature to creature. Yeah, okay. I can see that. But creature to creator, we're we're not good. We need help. We need all the help that we can get. And God's testing usually shows us to be a sinful person. And that doesn't always feel good, but it's important that we realize it and that we remember that because his testing brings our impurities to the surface. And when our impurities are brought to the surface, there are several things that happen that help us. First of all, when a Christian's impurities are brought to the surface, he learns. He learns something. Because day to day to day, you're thinking, no, I'm good. Then God tests you. Impurities are brought to the surface. You learn, I'm not that good in that area. I'm not as as good as I thought I was. But then after we learn... We repent. That's what a Christian does. When he's tested, impurities float up. up. He learns about himself. He understands that he's out of line with God's word. He repents from that. He prays for forgiveness. He repents from that. He walks away from that. He doesn't learn about himself and then say, you know, this is just who I am. The Lord's going to have to accept me this way. It doesn't work that way. We learn, we repent, and then something wonderful happens. We grow. We grow. As we walk in repentance, we begin to grow. In other words, we are sanctified. I have the perfect example for this. At least I think it's a perfect example. And, and I think parents in here will agree with me. I remember being married, and, and, and Alicia and I were married for seven years without any kids. I remember people giving me advice, especially whenever she was pregnant with Jonah and we were about to have our first child. People gave us this advice. It it, it was kind of like a warning to us. 
Okay? They said this. Kids will bring out the best in you and the worst in you. And that was the advice we were given, right? So I thought about that and, you know, naive. You think, no, no, my kids are not going to be that way. They're going to listen. They're going to do this or that, right? So you go into it. You have kids. You find out that that's not true. Kids don't bring out the best in you and the worst in you. That's not true. And it took me a while to figure that out because I was living life and I I remember that advice. And and I remember even saying that to people. Kids bring out the best in you and the worst in you. And, and, And now if I look at it from a biblical perspective, I know that's not true. What kids do, they don't bring out the best in you and the worst in you. They bring out who you really are. That's who they bring out. I see my son, he's shaking his head over there. He agrees, he knows. He's done a good job. They bring out who you really are. And parents, I know you can relate. You might think, I'm not an angry person. You might think that before you had kids. After you have three kids, you come to find out, I'm an angry person. Because I'm always angry. Right? Or, or you may think, before you have kids, you may think, I trust the Lord in everything. I, I, don't, have, I don't worry about anything. He, he has me in his hands. Then you have kids, and then you realize you're always worried about your kids. You see, they don't bring out the best in you or the worst in you. They bring out who you really are. When we are tested by the Lord, we find out who we really are. We look at our passage today. What they experience, what the Israelites experience, it it blows my mind. The things they saw, the things they, they, they saw the Lord do. Everything that they were a part of. I mean, think about it. Even if it was, even if we just saw the Red Sea split for us, that would probably be enough, right? Just that event alone. And, and we're able to walk through. And then our enemies are behind us and then it just comes and crashes down on them. And, and we're safe. They're not. And then we remember the Lord said, I will save you. I will bring you to this place. You will be, you will be a nation. You'll be my people. Just if we experienced that alone, it seemed like it would be enough. But they experienced more than that. And yet, they're three days into this journey. The Lord just split the Red Sea for them. Three days into the journey, they can't find any water, and they start grumbling. They start grumbling against the Lord. You may say, well, man, if I were there, I wouldn't be grumbling. I'd be trusting the Lord. I'd be the only one with my hands raised. I'd be telling everybody, y'all need to not grumble. Y'all need to trust the Lord. Now, come on. You do it in your own life. If you think back how good the Lord has been to you, you have no reason to grumble. You have no reason to worry, but yet we continually do it. Why? Because we think we know better, we can do better, or we deserve better than the Lord's given us. You see, once you really start to find out how bad grumbling is, and and, and, and where grumbling comes from, it comes from our hearts, then you begin to realize how much help we need. And this is where we talk about the goodness of the Lord. We talked about uh, the grumbling of the Israelites, but then we see the goodness of the Lord. 
Now, in response to their grumblings, this is what the Lord does. Exodus 15, 25. He answers their prayer through a wonderful miracle. It, talks, it says, he, talking about Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet, became able to, to drink. So here we go. Again, the Lord is completely sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. He leads them to this water to test them, this bitter water to test them. They fail the test, and the Lord makes it drinkable for them. How does that, how does that equate? How does that compute? It, it doesn't. We can't explain the Lord's goodness. We can't explain his grace. Just like us, we're sinful people. We sin every day of our lives. But yet, instead of placing us in hell, the Lord has given us salvation in Jesus Christ. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. We don't deserve it, but yet he has given it to us. The same thing we see here. He answers their prayers even after they are grumbling. You know, I've identified this to be such a, a, a difficult thing for me. You know when things are bad is that when you're doing these things when you pray. I've grumbled while I prayed. Listen to your prayers next time. Make sure you're not doing the same thing. You may think that you're praying, you sound really good, but at the same time, you're grumbling against your current situation. That's how bad it is for us sometimes, and yet the Lord answered their prayer. And not only did he answer their prayer, but he also promised to be their sustainer and their healer. Look at Exodus 15, 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So not only did he answer their prayer, but he is making a promise with them that he will be their sustainer and their healer. You know, it is so true. It is so true when we say that the goodness of the Lord endures forever. The Lord has decreed in himself. He has decreed in himself to be long-suffering with his people. When we look at the history of humanity, we see that we have continually sinned against him, but he gives grace. He gives grace. And he gives grace in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, what we are told in the Bible is that our response should not be that we continue in sin, but rather in response we should not continue in our sin, but rather live to obey him, to please him. We should not take his grace for granted. So that brings us to the conclusion. Three quick things for our conclusion. Number one, after learning about the grumblings of the Israelites and the goodness of God, we need to remember that God's grace extends to every facet of our lives. 
every facet. I have Acts 17, 28. I have it right here as a reminder every single day. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. I, I need a reminder of that every time I get up here. Because I, I need to remember that it, it is him who sustains me. It is him who helps me. It is him who delivers me. I can't do anything without him. So we need to remember that God's grace extends to every facet of our lives. He gives us what we don't deserve. Or excuse me. Yes, he gives us what we don't deserve, which is grace, so that we don't get what we do deserve. That is hell. I remember the first time I heard that. Pastor Laramie was over here getting ready for, heard that saying. I had, by that time, I guess that was four years ago, somewhere around there, three or four years ago. Had been pastoring for that long and had never heard that saying. And Pastor Laramie's up here, he's getting ready for one of his first sermons. And he, he sits there and he says it. He said, grace is us getting us, uh, grace is us not getting what we deserve so that we can get what we, what we don't deserve. Wait, did I mess that up? Grace, grace is us. Uh, he gives us what we don't deserve so that we don't get what we deserve. He said that, and I was like, wow, that is really powerful. I asked him afterward, I said, where'd you get that from? And I, I don't even remember his answer, but that, that stuck with me since then. I think that's a wonderful explanation of grace. It's hard to say it because you get tongue twisted, at least I do. But it's a wonderful explanation of us being blessed by the Lord, not getting what we deserve, but rather him giving us what we don't deserve. Second, we need to remember that grumbling against God about our circumstances isn't just us venting. It isn't just us venting. It's sin. When you grumble against the Lord, it means you're not trusting God to provide for your needs. Plain and simple. And as soon as something happens, you'll, as soon as something bad happens, you'll be able to see if you have an issue with this. Don't look at how you, rela- how you react outwardly. Check yourself on how you react inwardly. Right? Because outwardly, you might be able to keep it cool. Someone tells you something, and you're just like, oh, okay. You just smile at them, nod your head. But inside, you want to get your hands around them, right? That's where the issue is. That's where the issue is. With the heart. That brings us to our last thing that we can learn from this passage. Grumbling is a heart condition that can only be cured by the Lord. We need to plead to him to change our hearts. Let's pray.